I'm Brett McGarry. This week on the Couch Potatoes, how about I start by asking my co-host Jeff Braun, what'd you think of the Oscars? Pretty predictable, but hey, at least nobody screwed up this year. Also, Disney unveils plans for a live-action Star Wars TV show. It's getting so out of hand, I couldn't even bother putting it in our first segment, the news. From the couch. Remember the family fun of The Sopranos? What's your problem? Huh? What the is your problem? Slamming the refrigerator door. What? No. Were you going to argue with me now? I didn't even open the refrigerator. The coke was out on the counter. So you are going to argue with me? Huh? You f***ing mutt. Look, Tony, I don't want to... You don't want to what? You don't want to what? This f***ing guy, huh? F***ing Philadelphia lawyer. Ah, Tony Soprano, how he loved to beat people up. As it turns out, The Sopranos might be coming to a theater near you. New Line has purchased a screenplay for a Sopranos prequel movie from series creator David Chase and Lawrence Connor. The studio says the working title is, quote, The Many Saints of Newark, and will be set in the 1960s during the Newark riots. Chase's acclaimed series about mobster Tony Soprano, played by the late James Gandolfini, ran for six seasons on HBO and won 21 primetime Emmys. Where's my f***ing money? Oh, Where's the f***ing money? Just pummeling guys for six straight seasons. Gandolfini obviously won't be in it because he's dead, and since it's set 30 years earlier than the show, probably all new actors, we may see like a young version of Junior or Polly Walnuts or something. Chase will executive produce and co-write the film. A director has yet to be selected, and no word yet on when this will come out. Don't do it! No, 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 don't, 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 don't do it! Don't do it. My arm! <laughs> <laughs> What's that, huh? You got anything else to say? Are you the autistic one? No. That's me, Dr. Sean Murphy. The Good Doctor, one of the most popular shows on TV, has been renewed for a second season by ABC. He has autism. A mental condition characterized by difficulty in communicating, using language, and abstract concepts. Does it sound like I'm describing a surgeon? The Good Doctor. The smash hit show, which is ABC's most watched freshman series in 13 years after Grey's Anatomy, is this year's This Is Us. It's the biggest new drama of the season. At one point, it was the most watched show on TV, but it's leveled off to be the second biggest new show of the year behind Young Sheldon, the second biggest show on ABC as well behind Grey's Anatomy. A 10-year-old male with a penetrating... Why is your hand inside? Because he was bleeding. Get out of it. You look 12. Can you find a grown-up Don't move your hand. What's your name? Herrera. Andy Herrera. If she moves her hand even just a little bit, he's dead. I'm one fingertip away from this kid dying. Don't. Oh, my God. I'm not killing a kid today. You run into fires. You can do this. What if I miss? A Grey's Anatomy event. 
That was uh, last week's episode of Grey's Anatomy, by the way. It actually sounds pretty exciting. And I, Did uh, the kid die? I don't know, <laughs> but I kind of sort of feel like I should watch it. Oh, and I think that episode also served as the spinoff for their sexy firefighter show. Oh, yeah. Uh, Good Doctor. This is a show that I feel like I should have watched. I'm a huge fan of the main actor, Freddie Highmore, from his work as Norman Bates in A&E's Bates Motel. I made all this up. I made you up. Here's another impressive number. The Good Doctor is delivering triple-digit year-over-year time period increases to Monday's 10 o'clock hour for ABC by 172%. That is the strongest improvement for any hour on network TV this season. Once again, The Good Doctor airs Monday nights on ABC. You thought that this board wouldn't have any doubts about hiring a surgeon diagnosed with autism. Justify your decision. He sees things and analyzes things in ways that we can't understand. You're obviously very smart. You don't belong here. I can accept that he will have insights that none of the rest of us will have. Can you accept that he will make mistakes none of the rest of us will make? I hope you got your pants on. What? Executives at AMC are hopefully wearing their pants because it's been a rough go for season eight of their biggest show, The Walking Dead. This week's ratings demonstrate the series about zombies is really starting to decompose. No matter what comes next, we've won. We've already won! No, Rick. I said the series is decomposing. That's a bad thing. Your ratings used to be good, now they're not. Enough! Rick, it ain't like it was before! Once upon a time, it was a regular thing for me to talk about on the Couch Potatoes how good The Walking Dead would do in the ratings. 10 million viewers, 15 million viewers, pretty good. This past Sunday's, 6.8 million. What's next? The group is split. We got a plan for this. People are gonna start panicking. It's a waste of time, all this hoping and praying. 6.8 million is the show's smallest audience since 2012, and it had its worst showing among the 1849 demo since 2010. It's not gonna end here like this. We can't give up. AMC is trying to blow it off by saying people watch TV differently now, with an increase in people who see it through online forums not measured well by Nielsen. Now tell that to HBO and their success with Game of Thrones. Also, the show is still poised to be the most watched series among young viewers for the sixth year in a row, but it's hard to deny a show that was once a sensation is now not. I guess I'm losing hope. But like I said, it's all about slim chances now. And a slim chance is better than none. <laughs> what? You look like Mary Poppins. Is he cool? Hell yeah, he's cool. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all! 
If they had an Oscar for Line of the Year, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all from Guardians 2, would have won it last weekend. Nerd. But they don't, and it didn't. Anyways, the first teaser for the upcoming Mary Poppins sequel was released this week. It's super califragilistic, expialidocious, even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. If you say it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious. Super califragilistic, expialidocious. That's from the original 1964 movie. The new teaser didn't really have a lot of usable audio, save for one line. But it's still intriguing, showing what I assume is a father and a son trying to fly a kite in the wind when guess who should come out of the clouds with her umbrella? Old MP herself, played now by Emily Blunt. The dude in the teaser is played by Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's the Hamilton guy. He was funny on Curb Your Enthusiasm last season as himself. I didn't actually know he had Hollywood acting aspirations. I thought he just wrote award-winning Broadway musicals. Blunt, of course, has the thankless job of trying to fill Julie Andrews' shoes. And while all the grown-ups will gripe about it, the kids probably won't mind, and the movie will be a smashing success. Meryl Streep, Colin Firth, Emily Mortimer, Angela Lansbury, and OG Poppinhead Dick Van Dyke co-star Mary Poppins Returns comes out at Christmas. Mary Poppins. It is wonderful to see you. Yes, it is, isn't it? A teaser came out this week for another Disney movie, the Winnie the Pooh movie, Christopher Robin. We've called an emergency meeting this weekend. I promised my wife and daughter I'd take them away this weekend, sir. We need to cut 20%. You promised these people good jobs. And I thought you'd do anything for this company. Well, have a good time. Ewan McGregor plays the all-grown-up Christopher Robin, who's feeling the stress at work. That's Sherlock's brother Mycroft as the jerk boss, by the way. Why can't that guy ever play someone nice? Anywho, Christopher Robin has to miss out on the family weekend, and he goes to the park to think things over. What to do, what to do, what to do. What to do indeed. Pooh? Christopher Robin. I've cracked. Oh, I don't see any cracks. A few wrinkles, maybe. Zoikes! His imaginary teddy bear friend from his childhood has come to life and returned. Adventure of some sort will ensue, I'm sure. There's some controversy over the voicing of Pooh. They got Jim Cumming, the American who did all the Pooh stuff in the 80s and 90s. So apparently everyone in England is upset that they didn't get someone with a British accent, a la Sterling Holloway from the earlier era of Pooh. Oh yes, time for my stoutness exercise. Up, down, up. When I up, down, touch the ground, it puts me in the mood. Up, down, touch the ground, in the mood for food. Sounds exactly the same as the guy in the trailer to me. I don't know. Whatever, England, just deal with it. The movie has a lot of impressive voice talent for the other characters. Chris Dowd as Tigger, Toby Jones as Owl, Brad Garrett as Eeyore. Christopher Robin comes out August 3rd. I am stout round and I have found speaking poundage-wise. I improve my appetite when I exercise. Oh, stuff and fluff. People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land 
the dead. But sometimes, just sometimes, the crow can bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. That is a clip from the 1994 film The Crow, starring the late Brandon Lee, who famously died while shooting that film. Sony is doing a remake, and that remake now has a release date. October 11th, 2019, and it stars Jason Momoa, a.k.a. Khal Drogo from Game of Thrones. Or perhaps you know him as Aquaman from Justice League and the forthcoming film, Aquaman. Oof. You're gorgeous and fierce and strong and mm. I know we went to war with the Amazons, but that was before my time. And you know what? I don't want to die. I'm young. There's shit that I want to do. The Crow is about a guy named Eric Draven who returns from the grave to avenge his wife's murder. There were some video sequels and a failed TV show, but that original will always be renowned for its breakthrough visual style and a great performance from Lee. Man, I really need to watch it again. Suddenly, I heard a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. You heard me rapping, right? That is the news from the couch. Up next, a whole bunch of Oscar movies are coming home, along with a film that was bigger than all of them. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. That's the only way to become what you were meant to be. I need someone to show me my place in all this. This is not going to go the way you think. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are the Couch Potatoes having a look at what is coming to home video this upcoming Tuesday, March 13th. Jeff, what was that? That sounded a lot like Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Yep, big movie. I saw it three times in theaters. Really? Yeah. And which time was your favorite? I think the second. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, the third one I, I just went because I'd committed to going to see it with... This other friend, but yeah. but 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 that was uh, that was after another person said, "Hey, you want to go see it?" Like today, yeah. Like, All right, fine. Well, and because the, the first time when you anticipate a movie that much, the first time you watch it, you're you're not really paying enough attention. You know what I mean? Like you're sort of out of it because you're just like, ah, it's happening, it's happening. Oh, I should be paying attention. Yeah. And then the second time you can actually <laughs> like relax and appreciate it, and you don't have to worry about it missing some of the plot or whatever because you already know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, and I I think the first time too, I, I I really enjoyed it the first time, but there were I had some things I needed to think about, and then I started to read the negative reviews and read the negative comments, and then I started to believe them, and then I needed to see it again for myself and it's like, oh, wait, decide, you know what, I like this movie, I have some problems with it, but I enjoy it. That's coming to digital HD platforms on Tuesday. What else have we got? The Disaster Artist, starring James Franco and Dave Franco. That's about that's the movie about the making of the movie called The Room, starring Tommy Wiseau, one of the famous bad movies of all time. Uh, so this making of movie, The Disaster artist it's really funny james franco does a terrific impression of this tommy wiseau and of course your mileage on this will vary now depending on your thoughts about james franco in the wake of the last few months so who knows that's on digital hd it's also hard copy blu-ray and dvd also both the fear the fear the walking dead season three is that show still worth its salt season three uh, i actually really enjoyed the first half of season three so 
I'm a little stumped as to why I have not watched the second half, which mm. has been sitting on my PVR for months. And the next season, season four, begins in April. So I got to, <laughs> I really got to get up. Catching on. up to do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's your digital HD uh, on Blu ray and DVD on Tuesday. The Academy Award winning movie, The Shape of Water, comes out in hard copy. Justice League comes out. And important to note, it's just. There's been people like, is there a director's cut of this? Blah, blah, blah. Because some of the other Zack Snyder superhero movies have had other cuts. Most famously, the Batman versus Superman, yeah. which where the director's cut is actually better. But this Justice League, it's just the one cut for now. If there's a different cut coming, it'll be at a different time, not right now. Okay. Uh, also, hard copies of Oscar winners and nominees, Call Me By Your Name, uh, I, Tonya, Ferdinand, and... The first season of The Handmaid's Tale starring Elizabeth Moth, uh, t- Moth, Moss, a TV show we both really enjoy. Oh, I might actually have to go out and pick that one I'm up. nervous about season two. Up next, that starts in April, by the way, for those who are anticipating it. Up next, on the Couch Potatoes, the Oscars. Did it live up to the hype? Can it possibly live up to the hype after last year's chaos? You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and it's time to talk Oscars. And the Oscar goes to... <laughs> the Shape of Water. Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway got it right this time, and The Shape of Water was, by and large, the big winner at the Oscars this year. It won four awards, Best Picture, Best Director for Guillermo del Toro, Best Score for Alexandre Desplat, and Best Production Design. That Production Design Award, very well earned. It's very impressive when you watch the film, and then when you find out the budget was less than $20 million and it looks like an $80 million on screen, you're even more impressed. I enjoyed The Shape of Water a lot. I have no problem with it winning the big prize. That said, I am bummed that my beloved... Lady Bird went home empty-handed. They did a good job of spreading the wealth for the most part, except for my favorite of the bunch there. The Post went over as well. But the other seven of the nine Best Picture nominees all won something, including writing awards for Get Out and Call Me By Your Name. Dunkirk won a bunch of technical awards, as expected, while Darkest Hour and Three Billboards won acting awards. And Phantom Thread, duh, won Best Costume Design. It was all very predictable to the point... That I actually won the office pool, Brett. Attaboy, I attaboy. Got 20 out of 24 right. Really? Yeah. I would have had 21, but I thought the acting categories would supply at least one upset. So I bet on Laurie Metcalf to beat Allison Janney, and that didn't happen. Mm. I got live action short wrong, but I crushed the other shorts, docs, animated, and foreign language categories. I got the cinematography wrong, but I was thrilled to have mistakenly bet on Dunkirk there because this guy. Roger Deakins won. He shot Blade Runner, which I hadn't seen, but I really didn't pick it because he's never won before and he's had 13 other nominations. I thought he was cursed. He has certainly earned his Oscar. Here are just a few of the other movies that guy has been nominated for and lost. Sicario. Oh, that's a good one for that. Skyfall. Okay. True Grit. The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Great movie. No Country for Old Men. You Hang on a second. Yep. You liked that Jesse James movie? Yeah, it's slow, but I liked it. Oh, boy. No Country for Old Men. There's a Best Picture winner right there. Fargo, my all-time favorite. And The Shawshank Redemption, everybody else's all-time favorite. (laughs) It's certainly one of my (laughs) all-time favorites. (laughs) So, I mean, that plus like five other movies he's been nominated for, he finally wins one. So that was kind of nice to see. And the uh, other one I got wrong was Best Picture. I thought three billboards would win. It was sort of... Wide open, but I had to pick something, so I went with that, and then uh, Shape of Water one. So you you got cinematography wrong and best picture wrong, which leaves two more, which means you did really well in the part of the the, the sheet that most of us just kind of go, I don't know, 
I'm just going to guess because I have never heard of any of these. And supporting actress, I got wrong. So everything else, I just got it all right. <laughs> and it was funny because I was, I didn't want, I was tweeting and I was, after I got seven out of seven, I think, I sort of sent out a little tweet bragging about it or whatever. Because oh I was like, I, I got to do my, I'm 100%. I got to tweet it now because I'm going to lose some, one of these sooner or later. Yeah. And, and then even after that, I was still doing so well. I was like 15 for 16 at one point and. I was trying not to brag and <laughs> on the internet because it's just so <laughs> off-putting. But I was like, can you believe it? And I wouldn't even look at my sheet. They'd announce. I was like, oh, I got that one wrong. And then I'd look. I was like, no, I got it right. All right. <laughs> well, it's impossible with some of these categories. Like, oh, I know. You printed off your ballot here somewhere. somewhere we're, I'll go get it. Okay. Yeah. So the, you look at these ballots, and anybody who's looked at the Oscar ballot knows what I'm talking about here. You've got uh, a column where you have foreign language film. Okay, I've never seen, I never see any of these Read them out to me again and let's see if I can pick which one won. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. Foreign language film, A Fantastic Woman, The Insult, Loveless, On Body and Soul, The Square. A Fantastic Woman won. Very good. And you know why I got that one right? Because I just checked off the first box. Yeah, that's kind of so, how I usually vote for a school trustee. It wasn't my knowledge. It was, uh, it was very much luck of the draw on some of those. Documentary feature, Abacus, Small Enough to Jail, Faces, Places, Icarus, Last Men in Aleppo, Strong Island. Icarus was the only one I had heard of before because it was about the Russian doping scandal. Okay. so And that's actually apparently on Netflix, and so now it's an Oscar winner. And then the... Documentary short, the winner was I Love Basketball or whatever it's called. Uh, that was the the animated short. Animated short. Yeah. That's the Kobe Bryant one. Yep. So I knew that too. I was like, oh, they're, they're totally going to give Kobe Bryant an Oscar if he shows up there. So. Okay. And so then, yeah, there's a little bit of. Well, then there's the documentary short, uh, which is Edith and Eddie, Heaven is a Traffic Jam on the 405, Heroin, and then in apostrophes E, or pardon me, in parentheses, E. Uh, so it's heroin and then heroin. It's yeah, double, yeah, yeah. Uh, knife skills, traffic stop. Heaven is a traffic jam on the 405. Yep. Good title. Got to go with that. Okay. Yeah. Good for you, man. You, uh, you got three. And then the, <laughs> the one that you got wrong there was live action short. Uh, and I, again, I have never heard of any of these films. Nope, me neither. I don't, I would like to, and I say this every year and I know that it's a broken record cause I say things like this all the time after the Oscars, but I really would like to investigate how one goes about watching these films ahead of time. There's, there's, cause every city's got little art house movie theaters yeah. that play stuff like this. But often it's a one shot only deal and yeah. it's, you know, on a Saturday afternoon when you can't make it cause you've got something else planned or whatever. So yeah. it's just, you know, you just don't have time to do it or whatever. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of this stuff is on YouTube if we were to just look for it, which I yeah. rarely do. And uh, and like I said, I think a lot of it's on Netflix now. Netflix I think is pretty good about trying to get some of that stuff up there if it's you know, cost feasible for them. So yeah, I really need to check that out, but congratulations on winning the pool. <laughs> now, as far as uh, other stuff is concerned, Jimmy Kimmel, yeah. I thought he was fabulous. He always is. Like, should they just make him the permanent host? I kind of like him. Yeah. yeah. Like didn't Johnny Carson do it for like 25 straight years or something? Uh, I don't know. And I know Billy Crystal did it. Uh, he's done yeah, it many and, times. And before Carson, Bob Hope did it for Jeez, I don't know. He might have done it for 40 years. Well, because Kimmel, he's got such a dry, like I love his dry delivery. And he he says things that really make fun of the stars without 
But it's yeah. an, it's like a nice way. He's that guy at the party. You're you're one buddy that can just say the worst stuff and nobody it doesn't bother anybody. Yeah, he's very much that guy. He's very biting, but it still comes off as friendly. And it's like I'm I'm on your side in the end, kind of thing. Yeah, and he he manages to slide really clever satire, I think, into his commentary without being sort of overt about it. You know, like he made a comment. Where he said, this is a positive change, and if we can work towards eradicating sexual harassment in our workplace, then that's a positive step forward. And now women will only have to deal with harassment everywhere else they go every day of their <laughs> exactly. life. Exactly. And, <laughs> and the way he said it, it was like so straight-faced, but it was such a, it was an amusing but powerful observation, and he managed to mix that comedy and satire and uh, just yeah. sort of straightforward stuff together. This is like heavy. There's, you know, it could have been really heavy. And, yeah. he, and he mentioned the heavy stuff, but it didn't get too heavy. Yeah. What did you, you made a, an observation about the envelopes, which I'm giant, giant font on the envelopes. They <laughs> could be like this medium shot from like 20 feet away and you could read on the envelope. It would, it would say uh, best or visual effects or whatever on it. And like they, they were not screwing up the envelopes this year. And then the final commercial break before best picture, the, that best picture, they literally had it on a pedestal backstage. <laughs> and the, the camera shot in on it, and the narrator goes, when we come back, we will open this envelope and find out who is <laughs> nice. best picture. I, I wish I, because what I, I skipped through it at that point. Yeah. I, was, I watched Waiting it the next the day, end. so I, I uh, just kind of s- jumped through it all. That's funny. I was glad they bought, brought uh, Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty back. Just They ended up looking pretty dumb last year on the show, even though it turned out it wasn't their fault for quite a while. There were people watching. Nobody, people didn't know it wasn't their fault at first, right? So I was glad they sort of got you know to be redeemed. Uh, and my favorite part was that they had this one montage called uh, 90 Years of the Movies or something like that. It was phenomenal. They always do so the montages so well. Um, sometimes they ditch them all when a show's going long because they take a lot of time. This thing was four minutes long, but yeah. it is the best part of the show. So, uh, you know, otherwise the show was pretty dull. No surprises. Not a lot. It was like, there really wasn't that much star power, it felt like. Because, mm-hmm. like, where was Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise or Clooney or Julia Roberts or Charlize Theron? Like, and there was, Denzel Washington was there and I, they showed him on screen once. Oh. And he didn't even take the stage to present, like, why would you invite Denzel and not get him to present an award? Yeah. Well, at least there's one big star front and center. Meryl Streep. She's the new Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Jack used to always have that front and center spot. Now, really? Now it's always Meryl. I mean, she's usually nominated, but I guess Jack was nominated a lot of the time too. Yeah. Uh, good thoughts on the montages. I uh, I always find myself when they start those montages that don't seem to go anywhere. Usually what happens is at first I think, can we just get on with this? <laughs> but then... They were they because they always get that big emotional kind of swelling music that yep. it reminds me how much I enjoy watching yeah. films and then it makes me feel guilty because I don't watch as many films <laughs> as I used to because I watch so much television uh, it, it made me miss the movies and it reminded me of why I love the movies and I also wanted to uh, echo the Beatty Dunaway sentiment that the first thing I thought after the dust had settled last year was I hope really hope they bring them back next yeah. year and let them give away that award again because when I I could tell you could tell watching Warren Beatty he had this stunned look in his face where he thought I don't know what to do he just panicked yeah he just it panicked it was so weird you know and he looks at the envelope and he sees La La Land and he's thinking this not just that Emma Stone comma yes. La La Land yeah. so he's thinking I don't know 
it's it was unprecedented. I think. Mm-hmm. What are you, what's he going to do? Stop and say, I think we've been given the wrong envelope here. <laughs> Which you sort of think, well, that's what I would do. But <clears throat> when you're standing there in front of all those people with a spotlight on your face and a big red blinking light on the camera, it's that he didn't freeze altogether was pretty impressive. Yeah, and then Faye Dunaway just saw La La Land and didn't even look at the rest I'm of it. I was reading it. <laughs> <laughs> and then apparently, I read a, an oral history of that moment this past week, and I guess. Late into the night, and even by the time he got home, Warren Beatty still was clutching all the envelopes in his hands because he was he was afraid of being like turned into the scapegoat for this thing or whatever. He's like, "I'm not giving up these envelopes till we get to the bottom of this thing." Really? Yeah. And then he's like, "I think they might still be in my house." <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. Well, hey, at least they figured that out because yeah, I I felt really bad for the two of them for taking so much of that heat. It clearly wasn't their fault. You could just tell from his reaction. And they didn't bring out the Price Waterhouse people at all this year. I know. I, I know they fired both those ones from last year or whatever, but they must have had other ones. But they didn't uh, show them at all. Yeah, Kimmel had some great stuff. I loved his line about they want. They asked me last year if they wanted me to if I would do some comedy with the accountants, and I said no. And it turns out the accountants <laughs> yeah. did their own comedy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, up next. Uh, speaking of comedy, mm-hmm. big anniversary this yep. week for Jeff and Star Wars live action TV. Seriously, come on now. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. <laughs> Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett, and a big anniversary week for a cult classic, one of my favorites, The Big Lebowski, turned twenty. We're f- Walter. Nothing is. F- Dude, come on. You're being very undude. They'll call back. Look, she kidnapped her. You see? Nothing's here, dude. Nothing is. They're a bunch of amateurs. Hey, Walter, will you just shut the up? Don't say people. I'm doing business here, man. Okay, dude. Have it your way. But they're amateurs. Jeff Bridges won the Oscar about eight years ago for his role in the movie Crazy Heart. That was very much deserved. But a part of me can't help but think the Academy was also trying to right the wrong it made when they passed him over in the 1998 for The Big Lebowski. Bridges as Jeff the Dude Lebowski, simply one of the best performances ever. Wait, wait, let me me explain something to you. Um, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know? Uh, That or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. The dude content to just enjoy life with a couple of vices and his bowling doesn't work, doesn't worry about it, until one day he's sucked into solving a kidnapping plot simply because he's mistaken for a shady millionaire with the same name, and he wants vengeance for his rug, which has been soiled, but he's not alone as... John Goodman gives a performance of his life in playing the dude's buddy, Walter, the hot-headed Vietnam vet. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Am I wrong? You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an Okay, then. The movie was a bomb when it was released in the theaters. It has since developed a rabid cult following, and it spawned Lebowski fests around the world every year. And for good reason. The movie is an embarrassment of riches in detail, dialogue, and characters. Every time I watch it, which is usually at least once, maybe twice a year, I pick up new things. The Coen brothers always put together an interesting cast of characters, but they did something special here with Dude, Walter, Donnie... Shut the f*** up, Donnie. The Stranger, the actual Big Lebowski, Brant Maud, Carl Hungus and the Nihilist, Jackie Treehorn, Smokey, Dafino, the Malibu Police Chief, Knox Harrington, Marty the Landlord, and of course, Jesus Cantana. Let me tell you something, Pandeo. You pull any of your crazy sh- 
with us, you flash a piece out on the lanes, I'll take it away from you and stick it and pull the f***ing trigger till it goes click. Hang on a second, is that, uh, ah, crap, what's his name? John Turturro? Yes, thank yep. you. Pretty much everyone who comes on screen is a new interesting character that you're unlikely to find anywhere else. Like I said, a bomb in theaters, it was the Coen Brothers follow-up to Fargo, and I think a lot of people thought it was a step back, because I mean, with Fargo they had made a cinematic masterpiece, and this just seems so silly in comparison. But, as is the case with a lot of Coen Brothers movies, or Star Wars movies, it seems to open up a bit more as time goes on, you sort of watch the movies the first time just for the basic plot, and then if you're like me, you're simply trying so hard to follow along, you forget to smell the roses along the Way. They have a lot of densely plotted movies. They're not hard to follow, but you sort of feel that if you don't pay attention, you'll miss something crucial. So the second go-round, it's even more enjoyable, and every time after that. The Big Lebowski may not go down as one of their masterpieces like Fargo or No Country for Old Men, or any of the more serious fare they make from time to time, but it is definitely their most fun. brought a bowling? I didn't run its shoes. I'm not buying it a beer. He's not taking your turn, dude. <laughs> I have to admit, I have only seen that film once. It would have been, I don't know, maybe in the late 90s or early 2000s. Really? And I was, it, it was on in the background at a yeah. buddy's place. We were hanging out and, uh, you know, just kind of shooting the breeze and the Big Lebowski was on. So I, I admit I need to see it again. I may have a copy you can have because I, I think I've purchased it five times. <laughs> oh my goodness. Good and not, I don't have it on Blu-ray. <laughs> but like two VHSs. Uh, and then increasing like uh, anniversary editions of uh, DVDs. Nice. Special editions. We have about a minute left here. Just got to quickly touch on this. The fact that director John Favreau. So money. He, yeah, that's right. He has signed on to produce and write a live action Star Wars series for Disney's new direct to consumer platform. What do you think of this? I don't. I, ugh, that's a, is, are we not at like Star Wars saturation at this point? It's starting to get to that point already. This stuff's going to start feeling a lot less special. Yeah. It already does, even with the number of films, right? This Han Solo movie coming out, like, five months after the last one, that is insane. Yeah, I think they what they should do with the films is they should stick to that December. Yep. They should claim December, much like Marvel has claimed May, although they've since pushed the Infinity War to late April, um, trying to capitalize, uh, trying to separate themselves, I think, from Solo. But... Yeah, put it, put the Star Wars movies in December. Make that an annual tradition, and uh, it's a, it's a surefire golden. Well, they're going to make loads of money anyway. I think Solo is going to get lost in the shuffle yep. in May. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Download the podcast at Google Play and iTunes. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Yeah.